is where we're going to begin today. Acts 16, we'll start with verse number 30. Acts 16 and verse 30, this is speaking of the Philippian jailer, uh, Paul and Silas. We're, we're familiar with verse 25 where they prayed and sang praises and uh, verse 26 where the earthquake came and, and uh, so all of that has preceded where we are now. Verse number 30 brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and unto all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, was baptized he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Amen. The question, what must I do to be saved? And so many folks believe that the next verse is the direct and complete answer. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, we've been showing you that there is more to it than just believing. Amen. And so last week we started giving you 15 essentials of salvation. We're going to do our best to finish those 15 and maybe even add one or two, who knows, before we're done. But uh, we're going to do our best to at least finish those 15 today. I really want to, to bring a Christmas message next week, the Lord willing, and um, something I've been feeling. Um, hopefully we can do that next week. Amen. Put your Bibles down. Let's pray once again. And I'm asking that one more time you would pray and ask God to grant a spirit of revelation, not just for those that are present, but for all of those who will hear this electronically, whether live or uh, later uh, by recording. Let's pray together, everyone, right now. Can we do that, Jesus? praise you now in Jesus name in Jesus name praise God praise God amen God bless you you may be seated I really uh, we've taken some extra time this morning in our worship and so I really don't want to spend a lot of time reviewing we we went through <clears throat> last week again establishing that we must follow the guidelines of Isaiah 28:10. When we are trying to develop doctrine, line must be upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. You can't just take one verse of Scripture, uh, seclude it from the rest of Scripture, and build a doctrine. Well, you can, but it's going to end up being a false doctrine. So if you want true doctrine, if you want right doctrine, you're going to have to understand what 
what the Lord spoke to us through Isaiah, that everything in his word is line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, because God wants us to study. He wants us to study. He wants us to understand. People who say God's not that way just need to go back and read the Gospels again and see how many times even his own disciples didn't understand what he was saying. He spoke in such a way that those that were hungry would find the answer. And the rest would just say that makes no sense and walk away. That's just the way he did it. And, and this book is a reflection of him. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You can't separate him and the Bible. Hallelujah. So, let me just say, when we're talking about the Bible, we're talking about Jesus. Because the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Yes, Amen. So, so we, we've got to understand. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. Uh, we should always have at least one additional verse that says the same thing as we think the one we're using says. If we cannot find at least one additional witness, the scripture's not wrong. Our interpretation of it is wrong. All right? Um, and so many people will take Acts 16.31 and say, there's the plan of salvation. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved. Um, so there's only one thing you've got to do. But I started out last week showing you that the Bible is very clear. If you go line upon line, precept upon precept, the Bible's very clear that there's more than one thing that's necessary for salvation. It's not just believe. Hallelujah. And so we started going through this list. We talked about faith is important. It is essential. Without it, you can't please God. You don't have faith, you can't be saved. And so that is an essential. We talked about obedience, we, and we gave scripture for all of this. Um, there, there's, there's very clear biblical uh, evidence that these things that I'm listing for you, the Bible states emphatically, you've got to do it to be saved, or you've got to have it to be saved. Obedience is one of those things. Peter said you have purified your soul through obeying the gospel. Hallelujah. This is, this is one of the reasons why the devil loves that false doctrine of just believe. Because just believe requires no obedience. And yet God has always required obedience. We, we pointed out to you, uh, I think in our list of scriptures last week, if we didn't, we should have added it. But the Bible speaks even of Jesus as the son of God, that he learned obedience. It is essential. If he had to obey, why do we think we don't have to? Well, praise God. And so obedience is essential. We talked about grace. You can't be saved without grace. God's got to extend his grace to you. We talked about repentance. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's essential for salvation. Repentance is not the same as faith. 
fact, I've even heard apostolics define repentance as simply turning toward God. That's not repentance. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. You can turn toward God and never go any further. Right? Do you understand what I'm telling you? I mean, you know, if, if I'm trying to get to Brother Hilton and, and, and I'm facing this way, I can turn towards him, but just keep standing right here and I'll never get there. Just turning toward God is not repentance. Repentance involves much more, and I taught a whole lesson on that. But it's essential if you're going to be saved, except you repent, you shall all likewise be per- you shall all likewise perish. Then baptism is essential. You can't be saved without it. He that believeth, he that believeth, let's try again. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And so you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus in order to be saved. You've got to receive the Holy Ghost. If any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. You are not God's child without the Holy Ghost. Amen. So those are six things already that we've seen that are necessary for salvation. Let's start with number seven, and let's see if we can get through the the remainder of this list uh, here this morning. Number seven, let's go to, to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, I want you to look at this. Without which, no man, everyone say no man. You understand that, that there is not an exception provided here. And this is the sad thing, church, is that even many one God apostolic churches that are still preaching Acts 2.38 have neglected this. But I want to tell you what history has shown. When you neglect this, you just start backwards up that list I've already given you. And then none of those things are necessary either. When people say, well, I want to go to, a, to, a, to an apostolic church that, you know, they, they, don't, they don't require holiness. Well, I'm going to tell you, if they don't require holiness, they're not preaching the whole truth. Because the Bible says that without it, you shall not see the Lord. You may have repented. You may have been baptized. You may have received the Holy Ghost. But if you're not living a separated life unto God, you will not see him. That's what the Bible says. Holiness is essential. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. And, you know, it's amazing to me because, again, a lot of these people who say you just have to believe, just have to believe, they'll take you over to Romans 10. But there's so much in the book of Romans they don't want to talk about. And here's part of it. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now being made free from sin. You've been made free from sin. You've become servants to God. You've become servants to God. You have your fruit unto holiness. And you have your fruit unto holiness. And the end everlasting life. And this is what I like. Paul said, if you're producing this fruit of holiness, the end of that is everlasting life. So if you don't have that fruit of holiness... 
then the end is not going to be everlasting life. And there's no in-between. We know that. There's no purgatory. There's no halfway mark between heaven and hell. Those are the only two choices we have. So if you don't go to everlasting life, then it's eternal damnation. And the Bible says that it is the fruit of holiness that leads to an end of everlasting life. This is why I'm taking our Tuesday night sessions and teaching on this very important subject because we have to have it to be saved. We have to have it to be saved. Let's talk about number eight, 1 Corinthians 1 and 21. Number seven was holiness. Number eight. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God. It pleased God by the foolishness by of the preaching. foolishness of preaching. preaching to save them that to believe. To save them that believe. Do you see that preaching is necessary for you to be saved? Now, I just want to point out something to you. He didn't say it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that are lost. but them that believe. I'm telling you that we as believers have to have preaching if we're going to be saved. We have to have preaching. It is only preaching that can keep us on the right path. You're not going to get that staying at home. Even if you're watching the latest greatest evangelist, you're not going to get it. Well, praise God. I'm going to tell you, there's something about being in the presence of God's people when the preaching's going forth. There, there, is, there is a move of the Holy Ghost right here that just is not accomplished anywhere else. I don't mean not in any other church, but I mean it's in the house of God that preaching goes forth that will save our souls. Amen. Uh, listen, Luke chapter 16. This is, uh, Brother Hilton and I were, were discussing this um, just a couple of days ago, this passage, uh, because I was, I was making reference to a message that I preached many, many, many years ago. And uh, in fact, when, when, do you remember when I said it was? It was about, I don't know, we decided you were only about six or seven years old when I preached it. Um, the one that uses this passage that we're about to read. We, anyhow, that's all right. Read, just read the passage. This is Luke chapter 16. Abraham saith unto him, Yeah. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him, hear, hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, and the prophets neither will they. Be neither will they be persuaded. Though one rose from the now, dead. Now look, he didn't say if they won't read Moses and the prophets. Sounds to me like what Abraham was saying was, they get all the witness they need from preaching. And if they won't listen to preaching, 
I don't care what kind of miracle I send them. It's not going to do any good. Now, this is what you and I were discussing the other day. We, we were talking about this message that I'd preached many years ago that I, I entitled Rejecting God's Remedy. And um, maybe I need to go back and preach it again sometime. I, I think, to my knowledge, I've only preached it maybe a couple of times in, in my life and once was here. Um, like I said, I think he was six or seven years old, according to my, my records, and then I preached it once at a conference in Texas uh, because I felt it. But, but I pointed out in that message that God has a way of dealing with people, and you see it from the very beginning. You look in the scripture that, that as God is, is changing the earth, he's creating the earth, he's bringing about a productive world, the first thing that happens is the spirit of God moved. And then God said... So his word went forth. And then God put a man in the garden and said, it's your job to till this garden. And so the process of God that we see throughout the scripture is this, that when God needs to deal with someone, the first thing he does is his spirit deals with them. There's the process of conviction. They feel condemned for what they've done. But if that conviction will not correct them, then his word goes forth and deals with them. Now, now, now I, again, I'm just, I'm ruining the whole message, so I don't get to preach it again here. Um, but, but when I say the word goes forth, this is something that, that many folks don't understand about preaching. There are, there are so many times, have been so many times in my ministry that God has impressed me to preach something that I had no idea why I was preaching it. He just impressed me this needs to be dealt with. Or even in the middle of a message about something else, the Holy Ghost would move on me and say, deal with this. And, and it may have had nothing to do with it. I had no idea why. I didn't know who needed it. But you know what God was doing? God was letting his word deal with the situation. That wasn't me doing it. That was his word doing it. You understand? Is everybody with me? Because I don't even know who I'm preaching to. I don't know what I'm dealing with at that moment. It's just the word of God. The spirit of God was not able to correct them through conviction. So now the word of God comes and speaks it plainly. And if that doesn't do it, then the next step is God reveals it to the preacher and says, now it's your job to deal with it as you can. And God shows. And, and I'm going to tell you something, church. Here's what, and again, I, I, don't, I don't have time. We'll have to see if we can find that, that message somewhere and, and make it available to you. But I don't have time to, to preach all that. I won't get any of this done. But, but anyhow... I want you to understand that that's it. God has a three-step process of trying to, to correct us. And if we reject that third step, there's nowhere to go from there. There's not a fourth option. And so, so listen, by the time God reveals what's going on in your life, it's because he's reached the end of the road. He's tried everything else. 
and his spirit couldn't move you and his word couldn't move you. And so he's got one last option. And, and uh, it was in Second Chronicles, that verse that, that I, I read for you. And I, um, maybe we need to just look at it and, and just throw it in to the mix. And I've got to get back to my 15 essentials. But, but I am still on the subject of, of this essential uh, that is preaching. It is essential. And here's why it is essential. Um, it's in Second Chronicles 36, and and let's let's read um, verses 15 and 16. All right, Second Chronicles 36, verses 15 and 16. Read it. Read it for me. And the Lord God of their fathers, the Lord God of their fathers, sent to them, sent by, to them his by His messengers, rising rising up betimes, sending. Because he, because had, he had compassion, compassion on, on people his people and on his dwelling. God wasn't doing it to hurt them. God was doing it to try to help them. He had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked, but the, messengers they mocked the messengers of God and, despised his and they words, despised his words and misused his prophets, and misused his prophets until the wrath of the until Lord the, arose Now look at this, look at this. Until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. When they rejected the messenger of God trying to deal with them, there was no other cure. That's it. That's why the devil wants to put strife between you and your pastor. You get that? You understand that? That's the reason why he wants to put things in your mind because he knows this is your last line of defense. Well, I said I wasn't going to preach this message, but, but here I am. Go over to the book of Luke. I, I don't even have these notes. I'm having to try to pull all this from memory right now, but, but, but this is... The Bible tells us that, that Jesus, you know, Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate asked him questions. And, and there were some times when, when Jesus uh, did not respond to some of the questions, but Jesus did carry on a conversation with Pilate, right? I mean, Jesus did say to him, um, he, he talked to him about truth. He, he, he told him, you don't really have any power against me, except it be given you from on high. There was a conversation that went on, but the Bible is clear that when Jesus stood before Herod, the Bible said Herod was glad to see Jesus. Herod wanted to see Jesus. Herod hoped that Jesus would perform some miracle for him. Right? That's what the Bible says. And yet, the whole time that Jesus stood before Herod, he never said a word. Jesus refused to talk to Herod. He refused to speak to Herod. Now why? Why would Jesus speak to Pilate? And not to Herod. Pilate was probably a more wicked man 
as far as our idea of wickedness. Pilate had been responsible for killing a lot more people. And, you know, Pilate was a Roman. Herod at least had Jewish roots. But between the two, Jesus talked to Pilate but refused to say one word to Herod. Now, why wouldn't he talk to Herod? Well, I believe that the answer is found in Luke chapter 3. And uh, verses 19 and 20. Luke 3, 19 and 20. Read that for me. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod all right, now, 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 wait, 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 don't, don't, yeah, let's, let's, let's look at verse 19 for just a minute. Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him, that is, by John the Baptist. John the Baptist was telling Herod, you are living with your sister-in-law. This is wrong. This is sin. This is not just adultery, it, it borders on incest. This is a vile, wicked thing you've done. And John was preaching this to Herod. He was reproved. Herod was reproved by John for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the other evils which Herod had done, and he had done a lot of them. But listen to verse 20. Added yet he added yet this... This above all. Wait a minute. He added yet this. What? Above. Above all. all. Do you see that God said, I'm about to tell you what was worse than adultery, incest, all kinds of evil. I'm going to tell you what was the worst thing Herod did. What did he do? That he shut up John. He shut up his preacher. God had sent John the Baptist into Herod's life. Boy, it's, it's quiet, it's sobering, it needs to be right now. God had sent John into Herod's life. But because Herod didn't like what John had to say, he shut him up in prison. But I want to tell you, he did more than just shut him up in prison. By shutting him up in prison, he had shut his voice out of his life. I don't have to listen to this preaching. I don't have to hear this. I don't have to deal with this. And I believe that the reason when Jesus stood before Herod, he would not speak is because Herod already had a preacher. And Herod refused to listen to the preacher God had sent him. And when he wouldn't listen to the one God sent him, God had nothing else to say to that man. Church, look, I, 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 I'm just telling you, it is absolutely essential. If I could say it this way, not just that you have preaching in your life, but that you have a preacher, a pastor and that he has the liberty to talk to you 
even when you don't like what he's saying. Because when you stop his voice, God has nothing else to say. Oh, Jesus, this is not where I intended to be, but it is. All right, let's, let's go. Let me move on. I've got to get through this. Um, I'm not going to have time to finish if I don't. Because we're only on number eight. We're just halfway, halfway to the end of this list. Uh, Romans 10, 17. Let's go back to our list and let's finish this. We're still talking about you have to have preaching to be saved. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, the first thing that we listed as an essential was faith. And how do we get faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. One translation says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. This, this Greek word for hearing, and I've, I've studied this, I've taught this, it's been a while. But the Greek word that's translated hearing in Hebrew, uh, in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing. That Greek word can also rightfully be translated that which is preached. So it's not just hearing anything, but it's specifically hearing the preaching. Faith comes through that which is preached. As long as that which is preached comes from the word of God. Hallelujah. There's where our checks and balances are. That's where a man can't just stand up and say anything he wants to say. But he's got to base it on the scripture. But if it's based on the scripture, that's the way our faith is going to come. Well, praise God. All right, let me move on. Number eight is preaching. Number nine, very closely connected. James 1 and 21. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive, receive with, with meekness, meekness the engrafted the word, engrafted word which, is able, which is able to do what? Save your souls. To save your souls. I'm telling you, the Bible is clear. You can't be saved without the word of God. You just can't. You can't. You got to receive it with meekness. And if you'll do that, it is able to save your soul. 1 Peter 1.23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. And then he defines what that incorruptible seed is. It's the word of God. So do you understand that the way we're born again is by the word of God? We can't even come into the kingdom without the word of God. Look, look, church, I don't know if you've stopped to think about this. We've talked about what's going on in Africa, and I'm still so excited about it all. I, I, I was listening again yesterday evening uh, to some of the leadership training that went on. We've got some of those recordings, unfortunately, Something happened to the device and we didn't get it all. But, but listening to some of it and during some of that time, I listened again to the testimony of the brother from Swaziland and, and what, uh, what had happened there, what had transpired with him being converted and converting his team and, and how God was doing all that. Uh, I had gotten word uh, just a day or so ago from 
Pastor Jeffrey in Swaziland. He said, please pray. Even though they had been given all this permission to have these crusades, somebody somewhere came in and told them, you got to take these tents down immediately. You're not allowed to have these crusades here. And uh, whoever it was had the authority in that area to do it. And so he sent word, said, please pray. And I said, I certainly will. And I started praying. Some other brethren started praying. He, he sent me back a message the, other, uh, the, the very next day. And he said, one of the high princes, you understand that Swaziland is still a kingdom. It's the last real kingdom on earth. Uh, there, I know Great Britain has a monarchy of sorts, but they don't really have any power. They're figureheads. But Swaziland has a real king. It is a genuine kingdom. And, and so somehow they gained favor with one of the high princes in the kingdom. And he came in and he said, no, you're going to let these people preach the gospel. You're not going to hinder what they're doing. Hallelujah. Amen. But listen, I'm excited about what God's doing, but here's where I was going with all that. You do understand these are men that loved God, praying men, men with degrees in the scripture. And yet they didn't understand baptism in Jesus' name, the oneness of God. Until some preacher preached it to them. Hallelujah. Somebody's got to be able to take the word of God. It is the word of God that saves us. I've, I've got to quit getting sidetracked. So number nine is God's word. God's word. Number ten, let's talk about this. And this really we could have connected, I guess, uh, maybe if we just throw this one in with baptism, then I'll still end up with just 15 if I hit the last one too. So, so, uh, but let's look at it. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved all of these scriptures i'm giving you involve salvation right and so here he clearly ties the name of jesus to salvation we've got to have that name in order to be saved well praise god we've got to have that name in order to be saved uh, romans 10 13 for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. you got to call on the name of the Lord. And we, we taught a whole lesson just on that, calling on the name of the Lord. But that name is essential to our salvation. Number 11, I'm trying to hurry. Number 11, Romans chapter 8, verse 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Now, now look, let, let's talk about this for just a moment. For we are saved... There's that word saved again. We're saved how? By hope. Let me tell you something, church. We have to have hope. We have to have hope. And what the devil wants, he wants to cause you to lose hope. Because when you lose hope, you give up. There's no reason to try if you don't have hope, right? Does that make sense? And I remember as a, as a young boy, and I didn't, I didn't talk to anybody about it. I didn't discuss it. I should have, you know, I was a brand new convert. I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't know 
proper protocol, all right? But I just remember the devil tormenting me for the first several months, maybe even into a year or more uh, of my, my spiritual existence when I was, when I was uh, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. There were so many times that if I did something wrong, the devil would talk to me and say, you just blasphemed the Holy Ghost. Now, I didn't even know what that meant. And that's why he could use it. So I had no idea what the term even meant. I just heard somebody read from the scripture that if you do that, you can't be forgiven. And so the devil would try to convince me every time I messed up, you blaspheme the Holy Ghost. You know why he did that? Because if I would believe that I had blasphemed, then I would have no hope. Right? And if I've got no hope, I don't try anymore. Well, praise God. And I, I've, seen, I've seen the same thing happen in the lives of others. Of course, I've seen the other side of that coin too. I dealt with a man one time many, many years ago, another, another location. But, but he, you know, he, he kind of walked the fence in, in his relationship with God. And, and so he, one, one part of him, he... He almost wanted me to tell him that he had blasphemed the Holy Ghost. His conscience wouldn't let him just walk away. And so he would do something and come to him and say, I, I just really think I blasphemed the Holy Ghost. And I really think that he was desiring that I tell him, oh yeah, you did. Because then he could just tell his conscience, forget it. There's no hope anyhow. I'll just live like I want to. But, but he, never, he never did anything that he admitted to me that I felt like fit into that classification. And by the way, if you don't know what it means to blaspheme the Holy Ghost, I did teach on that. It's been a while back. We do have that recording somewhere. We can find it for you, get it for you. I think I had to spend a couple of weeks teaching on that, but, but it's there. And, and we'll give you Bible answers as to what it really is. Um, but having said that, this is my point. We are saved by hope. Hope is a necessary ingredient if we're going to make it. Listen, it's hope that keeps us praying for our loved ones that are lost. We have hope that one day they'll come in. And when you lose hope, you quit praying. Right? Church, I, I, I wish that I could stress this strongly enough to you devil wants to drain you of hope whatever it is if it's some promise of God if it's something that God's spoken to this church if the devil can get you to quit hoping for it then he'll get you to give up on it now look our faith will wax and wane our faith will go strong at some moments grow strong at some moments and grow weak at other moments there's going to be times that we're going to walk out of a red hot service and say I believe it's going to happen it may just be this week and then there's other times we're going to be walking through and, and we're going to say I just don't know if it's ever going to happen but the thing is as long as there's some hope we'll keep trying we'll keep praying if we just won't let go of that hope. Praise God. We're saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? There's nothing to hope for if you've seen it happen. 
He said, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I know. Just keep hoping. Hallelujah. Romans 15 verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we through patience. That we through patience. And comfort of the, and scriptures, comfort of the scriptures. Might have might hope. Have hope. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just want to keep on hoping, Brother Nelson. I, I, I mean, look, let's be honest. Every one of us struggle with our faith from time to time. But we got to hang on to our hope. When we don't have faith, don't give up your hope. Because faith will come back. It'll come back. But God wants to make sure we've got hope. You've got to have hope to be saved. Romans 15 and 13. Now the God of, now hope, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound. That you may abound in hope. To the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. God is a God of hope. And he wants you to abound in hope. Well, praise God. 1 John 3 and 3. And every man that hath this See, hope. See, here's why you have to have this hope. In him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. I'm telling you, as long as we've got hope, we'll keep working. As long as we've got hope, we'll keep on trying to make adjustments in our life. It's when we reach the place that we no longer have hope, that we just give up. Say, so you got to have hope. Got to have hope. Praise God. All right, number 12. Number 12. Number 11 was hope. Number 12. 1 Peter 4, 18. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? If the righteous scarcely be saved. Now, they're going to be saved if they're righteous. They're scarcely going to be saved, but they are going to be saved. So if you're not righteous, and this is, this is the two categories that Peter gives us. You're either righteous or you're ungodly and therefore a sinner. These are the two categories that we have. But the righteous are scarcely going to be saved. So without righteousness, there's no salvation. Righteousness is necessary to be saved. And there is a difference between holiness and righteousness. It really is. That, that's another lesson I probably need to teach sometime uh, to explain to you the differences. But, but there's a difference between holiness and righteousness. Righteousness is simply uh, the state of doing what's right. It's just doing what's right. And, and there are some things that don't really involve, if I can say it this way, it's not spiritual matters that would be connected with holiness, what, what separates you unto God. Holiness separates you unto God and away from the world. But righteousness, sometimes it's just a matter of doing what's right. It's not a matter that you're going to be lost or saved if you do it. You just do what's right. That's righteousness. It is doing what is right. Amen. Uh, Titus chapter 2 verse 12. 
teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. We should live soberly, righteously, righteously godly, godly in, this present, in this present world. And that is the grace of God is what Titus is talking about there, that that grace teaches us that we ought to live righteously. Number 13, amen, number 12 is righteousness. Let's, let's go to number 13. We're going to get there today. We're going to get finished. Number 13, James chapter 2, verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith? If you say you've got faith. Have not works. And you don't have works. Can faith save him? Boy, I'm going to tell you what. Those guys that love Romans hate James. That's right. You've heard me talk about the, 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 the radio broadcast that I was on when I was 17 years old debating this supposed scriptural theologian. And he was quoting Romans chapter 10 to me that you've got to be saved. You know, you've got to confess the Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart uh, that God's raised you from the dead and you'll be saved. Romans is where you find salvation. And the minute I started quoting James, he said, stop. You've just taken a book written to people that are already saved and applied it to sinners. What do you think you did with Romans? But here's, here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not taking this and applying it to sinners per se, telling them that it's their good works that will save them. I am speaking to people who are already saved, and James makes it clear because it's not a matter of once saved, always saved, Right? It's not a matter of I just get saved. I got to work at staying saved. And, and James says, what does it profit if you say you've got faith, but you don't have works? Can faith save you? Well, that, I'm you, that, that's one of those rhetorical questions, you know, that the, the answer is so obvious it doesn't require a response. Like, is the Pope Catholic? I mean, the, the answer is so obvious, nobody has to answer that question, right? And, and that's what this question, can faith save him? So what's the answer? No, faith alone cannot save us. Just saying we believe is not going to be enough to save us. Something's got to be put with that faith if we're going to be saved. And what is that something? It's our works James chapter 2, verse 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. And, and you know the interesting thing, you can, go, you can go read this. I don't have time to go into it in, in detail, but, but you can go home and read this in the book of James. James reaches into the Old Testament and picks a very uh, unique character to prove this point. Her name was Rahab. And you know what her occupation was? She was a harlot. Right? But Rahab was, quote, unquote, saved from destruction. In spite of the fact that she was a harlot by trade. What saved her? Her works. She Protected the people of God. She spared the people of God. And her works saved her. Right. 
Hallelujah. I, I don't read, at least in those verses. Now, later we might can make some implications or draw some inferrals, but, but in those verses in, in the book of Joshua, I don't read where she made this great profession of faith that Jehovah is the only God there is. She was living among heathens. She no doubt worshipped heathen gods. I don't see her making this great profession of faith except for the fact that we know that your God, your God is going to save, is going to destroy us, is going to overthrow us and save you. But it was their God at that time. So it wasn't her faith that saved her. It was the works that she did. And James takes that and under the inspiration and anointing of the Holy Ghost, applies it to the people of God today and says, faith alone is not going to save us. We got to have something to back it up. We got to have something to back it up. We've got to have some works to back up what we say we have. Amen. So number 13, we got to have works. There's got to be works. In fact, in fact, Lord help me, Jesus. The book of Matthew, again, it is so, this passage is so misapplied and misinterpreted and misunderstood. When Jesus starts, starts talking about um, the wise man, the foolish man, what goes on here, if you read this, if you read the entire chapter of Matthew 7, you're going to see that, that he is talking about our works. He's dealing with our works. Uh, in verse 13, enter into the straight gate. Um, he says, straight's the gate. Verse 14, narrow the way that leads to life. Few there be that find it. Verse 15, there's false prophets that come in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they're ravening wolves. Number 16, you'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. He's talking about our works. He's talking about our works. And then verse 21, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter. There are going to be those who stand and say, Lord, we've prophesied in your name. We've cast out devils in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You that work iniquity. You're not following my law. You don't have the righteous works to back up what you're saying. And then he goes immediately into the story of the wise man and the foolish man. And the difference between the two is one had the works. Both of them heard the word, but only one had the works. And really, throughout that Sermon on the Mount, you can say what you want to say, but I'm telling you, the Sermon on the Mount is all about works. It's all about works. Right? Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. These are works that we perform. You're the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, put it under a bushel, 
Let your light, this is verse 16, Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Our light is not a fish on our trunk. Our light is not a cross around our neck. Our light is the good works that we do. I, I, I don't have time, but read it, read it. If you don't think that's the case, read it. Read chapter 5, 6, read it. It's all about our works. Our works alone don't save us. But if we don't have them, we can't be saved. Number 14, um, number 14, Acts chapter 2, verse 40. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Save yourselves. Uh, let's read Philippians 2 and 12, and then I'll comment. Wherefore, my beloved. Wherefore, my beloved. As ye have always obeyed. As you have always obeyed. Not as, Not as in my presence only, but now much now, more in my absence. Much more in my absence. Work out your Work own salvation. out your own salvation. With fear, and With fear and trembling. So let me just put it this way. You may not understand it, but, but number 14 is ourselves. Save yourself, Peter said. L listen, what I mean by that is there's going to have to be a mindset in us that says, I'm going to do everything I can to be saved. I refuse to be lost. Well, I feel like preaching a little bit now, and I don't have enough time to do it. But I'm going to tell you, saints of God, if we're going to be saved, it's going to be because we've made up our mind. Nothing and nobody is keeping me out of heaven. I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what you say to me. I don't care how you treat me. I don't care how, how abused I feel like I am. It's not worth going to hell over. And I'm just going to make up my mind. Nobody and nothing is keeping me out of heaven. I'm not going to sit around and suck my thumb and feel sorry for myself and, and talk about how mistreated I am and how unliked. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be saved. I am going to be saved. Church, if you don't get that kind of mindset, I, I used to hear, I used to hear my, my uh, old pastor, he, he would say, you know, the Bible says that there's two that'll be in the bed and one taken and one left. And he said, if that's going to be the case, I love my wife, but I just want her to know I'm going to be the one taken. Not that I want her to be left, but I've just made up my mind. There's nothing that's going to keep me from going. Oh, I wish somebody would hear what I'm saying and feel the burden that I'm feeling right now. I'm just going to tell you, I don't care what goes on. I don't care what takes place. I don't care who does what. If you're going to be saved, it's going to be because you made up your mind one day, I am going through. Devil, give it your best shot. You may knock me down, but I will dust myself off. I will get back up. I refuse to throw in the towel. Well, praise God. I absolutely refuse to quit. Brother Hilton, I'm going to heaven. 
Well, I wish there was more people that felt that way this morning. I am going to heaven. Brother Nick, I'm going to heaven. I'm going. I'm going. I want you to go with me. I hope you'll go with me. I'm begging you to go with me. But if you decide not to go, I'm still going. There's nobody that's going to get me to give up what God's done for me. There's nobody that's going to get me to lay aside what God did in my life. I don't care how much I love them. I don't care what kind of friend they are. The moment they start affecting my salvation, my salvation means more to me than anything and anybody. I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to be saved. And I'm just telling you, there are times that there are people that have got such a negative impact on our attitude and our spirit. The best thing we can do is say, look, I love you, but I'm going to be saved. You want to live your life in bitterness? You want to live your life mad at the world? That's your business. But I'm going to be saved. Look, I can only do so much as your pastor. Brother Hilton can only do so much as, as the assistant. A youth leader can only do so much. Right? Your brothers and sisters can only do so much. At some point, there's just got to be a mindset in you. I, I can pull, I can pull, I can pull. But look, if I've got to beg you to come to church every service, you just don't have the mindset to be saved. I understand. I understand getting your feelings hurt. You know, I've, I've had people miss and say, well, nobody contacted me. So they must not want me there. Look, why, why, don't, you get, why don't you get rid of that ridiculous, and I said it, ridiculous attitude. I'm going to tell you, I'm just, I'm just going to be saved. I don't care. If somebody doesn't like me, somebody's got something against me, it's just not going to stop me from being saved. I'm going to be saved. And I'm going to, I'm going to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. I'm going to come in and love God and praise God and serve God with everything I've got. And if somebody's got a problem with me, that's their problem. I'll do what I can to make it right. If they won't let me make it right, it's their problem. But I can't beg you enough to get you to heaven. I can't baby you enough to get you to heaven. I can't pamper you enough to get you to heaven. You got to have preaching to be saved, but I can't even preach enough to get you to heaven. I can't pray enough to get you to heaven. If you don't have the mindset, then whatever else anybody else does is wasted. Because I'm telling you, if they meet whatever this little quirk is that you think is not being met, there'll be something else. There'll, there'll be some other thought that comes into your mind. that Well, they ought to be doing this, or he ought to be doing this, or she ought to be saying that. There'll be lots of things that'll just flood your mind. At some point, you're going to have to just wake up and say, I will be saved, period. Whatever I've got to do, 
If I got to walk through the den of lions, I'm going to be saved. If I got to go into the fiery furnace, I'm going to be saved. If I'm going to put my head on the chopping block, I'm going to be saved. God extended his mercy to me to show me this glorious truth. He didn't have to do that. I didn't have a history in the apostolic church. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have, I didn't have a, a lineage that brought me into this message. God didn't owe me one thing. But somehow in his mercy, he looked down and saw a little 12-year-old boy, and he filled me with the Holy Ghost. God didn't have to do that. God didn't have to do that. And I'm telling you that nobody's taken that away from me. Nobody's going to cause me to mistreat God. Because when I walk away, he's the one we're rejecting. We're not rejecting the church. We're not rejecting the pastor. We're not rejecting the people. We're rejecting God. So we can point all the fingers we want to point. But in the end, this number 14, this is a big one. We've got to have ourselves. We've got to be on board. I will be saved. Well, praise God. Number 15, number 15. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number 15. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, and he that endureth, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. You shall be hated of all men. Well, I'll tell you what. These folks say, well, so-and-so doesn't like me. Jesus didn't say, and you shall be not liked by some men. Did he? What did he say? You shall be hated. Hated. That's a stronger word than not liked. Someone someone doesn't like me. Yeah. Well, Jesus told us that we're not just going to be disliked. We're going to be hated. Of all men, for my name's sake, but what? But he that endureth to but the he end. But he that endureth to the end. Shall be saved. That's who's going to be saved. That's who's going to be saved. Let me tell you something, church. Being saved sometimes is just putting one foot in front of the other. I'm just going to endure. I'm just going to endure. Again, I don't, want to, I don't want to misconstrue things, but he didn't say, he that flourishes to the end. Because there's times we're not, unfortunately, we're not flourishing as well as we'd like to. Now, there's, there's been a few dry spots in my walk with God through the years. You ever had any? You ever had any? All right, I wasn't sure who you was winking at there. Um, your allergies, huh? Oh, that's who's winking at. All right. Um, look, I've I've had some dry spots in my walk with God, and there were times that I haven't 
always flourished like I wanted to. But this is what he said. You don't necessarily have to flourish all the way to the end. Just endure. Just hang in there. Just don't quit. That, that's the way you win. You just don't quit. That's the way you're saved. You just don't quit. I, I'm just, I may be down today, but I'm not quitting. I may be down, but I'm not out. Well, praise God. I may be struggling today, but I'm not giving up. I'm going to endure. Listen to me, church. The closer we get to the sounding of the trumpet, the more important I think this scripture is going to be to us. Because I think there's going to be a whole lot of days that we're just going to have to have the fortitude to endure. We're just going to have to endure. I'm just going to have to endure. I may be hanging by a thread, but I'm hanging. And I won't let go. It's not the one that runs the swiftest. Right? It's, it's not the one who's the fastest. It's just the one that can endure to the end. I've, I've seen people, you know, when, they're, when they come to God, they come out of the chute like a racehorse that is intent on winning the derby. And they run with everything they've got for a little while. And the first time they stumble, they've expended all their energy and they just quit. Let me tell you, it's not about how fast you can run. It's about can you endure? Can you endure? Church, and again, I wish I had more time. I don't have time to, to really develop all of these points the way I want to. But, you know, this is what happens even like with our prayer lives. We get stirred up and so, boy, we'll, we'll be hitting it with prayer. We'll be hitting it with prayer, hitting it with prayer. But slowly that that excitement, that fervor, that, that passion starts waning in us and it's, it's, it's dropping off in us and, and then all of a sudden we're not praying at all. I, I, we get stirred up again then, you know, months go by and all of a sudden we hear a message and we're stirred up and oh, I'm going to start praying. Well, we, we go and I'm going to pray two hours every day. I'm going to pray two hours every day and that lasts for about a week and then we're not praying at all. Look, you'd be much better off to pace yourself and pray a few minutes every day. Just endure. Just endure. Don't quit. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. That's Matthew 10, 22. Matthew 24, 13. But he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved. He that shall endure to the end 
That's who's going to be saved. Amen. If I can get some music here, we'll bring this thing to a close. I got two minutes. You got to endure to the end. You got to endure to the end if you want to be saved. That's the 15 things that you got to have to be saved. Now let me throw in one bonus when go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, I've only got a couple of minutes, so I sure don't have time to develop this the way I would like to, but I'm going to have to go back. If I ever teach this again, I'm going to have to go back and change it to 16. And then probably if I teach it again, I'll come up with 17. Hebrews chapter 10. And, and along the line of what what I've just said. you got to endure. Let's, let's start with verse 23 and read. Let us hold fast the profession. Hold fast. Just hold fast that profession of faith. Of our faith without, without wavering. Without wavering. For he is faithful. Because he's faithful that promised. promised. Right? And let us consider one let's another. Let's consider one another. To provoke and to love and to provoke good work. Provoke to love. You see, already there's number 17. we got to have the body of Christ. I, I can't be saved without my brothers and sisters. We need one another. Right. You hear me? That, that's number 17. That wasn't even where I was going, but I mean, number 16, I guess we could say we'll make this number 16 is the body of Christ. We got to have the body of Christ. Right. We got to have our brothers and sisters. We need each other. That's why you can't just go off here and live for God on your own and think you're going to be saved. But that's not where I'm headed. All right, verse 25. Not forsaking, not the, assembling forsaking the assembling together, of ourselves together. As the manner of some, as is, the manner of some is. But exhorting one, but exhorting another. one another. So much the, so more, much the more. You see the, you day, see the day approaching. Verse 26. For if, for we, if sin we sin willfully. That we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. This is, this is the next thing on this list is we have to have the church. I, I read an article um, a few days ago that really stirred me up about technology and the church and how if, if we're not careful, we can move into such a technological mindset that we abandon the church and use technology instead. But listen, we can't get away from what happens when we come together as a church. And there's nothing that can ever replace it. I've listened to messages and been blessed by messages. I've listened to sermons and, and found a place to pray as a result of sermons that I've heard that were recorded. Are you understand what I'm saying? I've listened to back in the day tapes you know, of preaching that just moved me, stirred me, put me on my face. I've, I've listened to, to recordings of, but nothing takes the place of the house of God. This, this has to be paramount in our lives. The house of God. There's just something that happens here. What did Asaph say? Asaph said, my feet had well nigh slipped. 
See, when I started looking at things, my mind started telling me, this is wrong, that's wrong, this doesn't make sense, that doesn't make sense, this doesn't add up, that doesn't add up. And, and, and he said, I was just ready to throw in the towel and quit until I came into the sanctuary of the Lord. And then understood I. He said, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That's what was bothering me. I'm saying, this person's not doing right. Look how they're prospering. This person's not doing right. Look how they're prospering. And yet, I, I and others, we're trying to do right. And look at what we get. And this doesn't add up. And he said, I was ready to just throw in the towel until I went to church. And something about going to church, it straightened all my thinking out and I understood their end. Something about coming to the house of God lifted my sights off of the here and now and had me focusing on the hereafter. And when I think about the hereafter, this is what I know. They may prosper in the here and now. But if they're wicked, they're not going to prosper in the hereafter. And I may struggle in the here and now. But if I'm righteous, I'm not going to be struggling in the hereafter. And you know what? If both the wicked and the righteous live a hundred years down here, and the wicked prosper for all 100 years, and the righteous suffer for all 100 years, and then we go into eternity. There's not going to be a comparison. The glory, the wonder, the beauty, the splendor of what God's going to give me on the other side compared to what they're going to get. And it's not just going to be for a hundred years. It's going to be forever. But see, I couldn't get my thinking straightened out sitting at home. I couldn't get my thinking straightened out talking to everybody else who thought just like I did. I had to get to church. And when I came into God's sanctuary... Feeling this presence, feeling this glory that we felt this morning. I'm telling you, church, this is why the apostle said we're made to sit in heavenly places. You know what's happening when we start feeling the kind of glory we felt this morning? Our minds are carried to another place. And our eyes are once again focused on the end. Not the present. Let's stand and lift our hands to the Lord. Well, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be saved. I'm going to be saved. I'm going to be saved. Let's gather around. We're going to close out here this morning. I, I did not.